There's this tape I heard the other day that I can't get out of my head. It's a little girl. Her name's Leah. She's in kindergarten. She's describing her classroom. There's a window in the closet. And outside the window was pigeons. They were like hanging off of the um, tree. Leah's talking about this moment when everyday things around her changed. When the world went from straightforward and understandable to ominous. Like, those birds she saw out the window. They looked a little ghoulish and a little goblin-y. And we were afraid at first. Then we peeked out the window and saw that it was just pigeons, shadows. Leah was feeling jumpy like this because she was hiding in that closet from a stranger. I got a feeling stuck in my head. I was thinking if we were going to be okay because, like... The stranger was literally just outside the door of our classroom. And um, it was actually just our principal dressed in stranger clothes. I saw her wearing, like, a boy wig with her hair up on the bun. And um, I thought it was kind of scary because I didn't know who her true self was. Leah's school was in the middle of an active shooter drill. I am in kindergarten. First grade, second grade, sixth grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. I'm in the 10th grade. I'm in 12th grade. And I live in San Diego, California. I'm a touch in New Jersey. In Louisville, Kentucky. Baltimore City. LA County. South Orange, New Jersey. I live in Seattle, Washington. This is a code red lockdown drill. Please stay wherever you are. I repeat, this is a code red lockdown drill. Slate and the gun reporting project The Trace spoke to nearly two dozen kids like Leah over the last few weeks and months. We've been trying to puzzle out how these drills are impacting students. And then I hear, like, footsteps outside. And I'm like, oh my gosh, is someone coming? At first I was, like, scared. And I was kind of, not, like, comfy, but, like, I got this. And I was just hoping it wasn't real. <laughs> I was just hoping... <laughs> It was the principal who was coming, not, like, anybody that was, like, going to kill me. (laughs) The diversity of the reactions was sort of shocking to me. Tolly Woodward is an editor at The Trace. How many kids described it as terrifying, but then there were sort of an equal number who described it as mundane or boring. People don't talk about it much. It has this weird feeling of, I could go to school and I could die. Pick a day of the week. Take a calendar and throw a dart at the calendar. I could die on that day. I think for those of us who didn't grow up in this era, that's alarming. Today on the show... Tolly's going to help me understand what this project reveals. Not about how scary these drills are, though they can be that, but how normal. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. 
When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When I went to school, we never did lockdown drills. And now my kids know exactly what they are and how they work. How did these drills become normal in American schools? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it all really goes back to Columbine. I remember very clearly, I think I was just out of college um, when Columbine happened, and the idea that someone, that a a teenager, two teenagers would go into a school and shoot people, it just had never crossed my mind as a possibility. And I think most of us reacted that way to that news. So I think it spurred real concern and a real and genuine and I think um, well-intentioned um, sense of we have to do something to protect our children. Were the parents asking for training? Were the teachers? Do you have? A, do you know? I don't know exactly how that happened. I think there was a clamoring among politicians, mostly to you know we have to do something about this and we have to kind of get in front of it. Um, and I don't think it was as much legal concern as sort of you don't want to be the you know on the school board in a district where something like this happens and to say, oh, we never even thought considered this possibility. At first, these safety drills were fairly simple. The advice was to find a place to hide, turn off the lights, and be quiet. But as an industry began to crop up offering ways to keep schools protected, techniques changed. It's hard because it's not like there are two categories. It's more it's like the spectrum. And I think on one side of it, there is kind of a traditional lockdown drill which I think almost all schools do at this point, where they they say locks, lights, out of sight. And the idea is you should lock the door if you're in a classroom, turn out the lights, and then hide if you can. Um, everyone in the classroom should do that. But some security companies soon started taking a more aggressive approach. The Trace really focused on one company mm-hmm. that has gotten into this space and marketed itself in all kinds of ways to schools and then to individual trainers, too. They're known as Alice. Why did you want to focus on them in particular? Well, they were sort of the first um, for-profit entity in this space, and they are the sort of most widespread um, in terms of they work in in a slightly strange way in that they operate what they call a train-the-trainer model. So they do their own drills, but more often they train other people, um, teachers, law enforcement agents, how to conduct drills. I'm wondering if you can tell a story of how this Alice training has been used and conducted. And then once it gets out into the community or once someone who's trained in the Alice technique is sort of out in the community, how it can change and evolve and even become problematic. Well, so there was this this case that actually received quite a bit of publicity almost a year ago in Indiana at Meadowlawn Elementary School. Active shooter training is intended to be realistic, but what happened here, some teachers say, was too real. Where uh, basically police came in posing as armed gunmen using airsoft guns and shot plastic pellets um, into a bunch of teachers who were participating in this drill. So it's the police 
doing an Alice training for the teachers, but the police had been trained by Alice. There was a lot of welting, bruising. Some of them even uh, caused open wounds and scabbing. And there was a lot of controversy about it. Um, The Indiana State Teachers Association came out strongly against it. And the sheriff, whose team had had led the exercise, um, told the media that his officers would not use airsoft guns any longer in these sort of trainings. And Alice, I think, you know, when when our reporter, Sylvia Varnum O'Regan, contacted them, they said, well, this we train the police, but we don't have responsibility for that precise drill. That's such a neat response. <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's some truth to it. I mean, I think they trained they trained the the police, but then at some point it's out of their hands. But that is the structure of the company that they run. This training in Indiana was just for adults, people who worked in the school. But the company also helps train students. They do that using a specific technique. Alice is actually an acronym. It stands for alert, lockdown, inform counter and evacuate. I don't think they necessarily say you have to do those things in a specific order, but the idea is that you can teach different responses. And the one that draws the most attention um, and is a little bit more unusual is counter. Critics of countering would call it fighting back or trying to take down the shooter. Alice says that they're just sort of trying to teach people that if they're in that situation, they should think about what they could do. Is there a heavy object nearby that they could hurl at the shooter? In the audio story that, that we've done, you can hear a lot of kids talking about, about this. One of the high schoolers says it very clearly, actually. She says, you know, Al- with Alice, we're, they're teaching us that we have more options. Um, and they also tell us that we have permission and that we're encouraged to counter a shooter. We can alert people, we can evacuate, and we can even counter, basically, is what they're telling us, is that we have permission and that we're encouraged to counter a shooter if given the opportunity. It was very so in a strange way, it's sort of like the school giving what I imagine is the opposite of the advice they typically give kids about how they should behave at school. They're saying in this situation, fight. A lot of the kids who are exposed to this idea spend a lot of time thinking about these objects that they might use. I mean, even little kids in the interviews were talking about, oh, well, we're supposed to get a heavy object. So I went to the block area because the blocks are the heaviest thing and they're spheres that are the heaviest of the different shapes shaped blocks, but there are only three spheres. And I got a sphere, but some of the other kids didn't get spheres, and they had to go with lighter blocks. And so this becomes this sort of, I think, somewhat obsessive kind of thinking through of what objects could work in this situation. And some of them, you know, some of the older kids say, you know, we mostly we think about grabbing our computer or our water bottle, but what's a water bottle going to do against an AR-15, really? So I was also struck by how Alice got its start. And that's actually one of the main reasons we focused um, a lot on Alice, because there has been a fair amount of press coverage of Alice, but no one had really unpeeled the layers of who were the guys who founded this company. So what did you find? Well, we found that it was started by two people who had been police officers in Texas, both of whom had been involved in a sort of local scandal, basically, about a drug raid gone wrong. And there was a lawsuit over it, and it was, a, a, you know, a, a scandal. Um, and they both ended up resigning from the force. And all kinds of things came out about them in the yes. wake of that. Yes. Like one of these guys had been 
accused of exposing himself to other police officers. Yes, that's correct. Yes. So they've resigned from the force. And one of them also has a wife who's a principal, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And as soon as they started their initial company, which had a different name, they got sort of their first contract with a school district in Texas. And then they came under some criticism for a, a video that was released by the school showing children attacking someone who was dressed up as a as a shooter, um, someone who was like playing the shooter in an active shooter drill. This was 2006, I think, where yes, there right. was, they did one of these videos, which if you go online and Google around, now there are a ton of them, just mm-hmm. all of these videos that so, sort of show what you should do with an active shooter drill. But theirs was one of the first, I guess. Yeah, and I think my understanding is it probably generated more controversy because there were actually children in the video. I think a lot of the videos, they're using actors, they're law enforcement people, they're teachers sometimes. Um, And there are a lot of people who work in this space of, you know, other for-profit companies, other nonprofit companies that work in this arena who talk about, you know, we should teach teachers how to do this. Um, We should teach adults how to do this. But sort of expanding it to kids is questionable and there's really no evidence that it it's going to keep them safe. So they make this locally notorious video, but it doesn't stop their business. It seems like their business expands rapidly. Right. They changed their name. One of the initial founders kind of left the company. He now runs his own much smaller company. And then it continued and was renamed Alice and it expanded. And they, the Alice Institute, which actually has a new private equity investor as of just the past couple of months, and a new CEO who came from the tech world. But the company claims to have trained staff at more than 5,000 schools, you know, K through 12 schools, and at a, about 900 institutions of higher education. There's no way to really verify that, but that's much broader than most of the companies that are doing this kind of work. I'm curious to talk to you a little bit more about the drills and what Alice said to you when your reporter talked to them, because I'm sure she was trying to reach them and say, (laughs) what do you make of how your training is being used in the world? Well, they actually wouldn't speak in very much detail. Um, The founder refused to speak, and Sylvia actually went to Texas where he lives and knocked on his door, but that even was not successful. So she tried very hard um, to speak to him, and she did get some information, but not very much from spokespeople for the company. And we should say Alice isn't the only company doing these kinds of trainings. Yes, definitely not. Um, There are many, and there are many that are much smaller. A lot of them involve former law enforcement workers and they're tiny things where, you know, people do a little bit and and then they're, they're these bigger groups. And the federal government has allocated millions of dollars for this kind of training. Do they put in place any standards for how it's supposed to play out? No, that's what's really sort of, I, I think, strange. <laughs> um, I mean, there's, I think, $70 million allocated a year for to support active shooter drills. And then there's actually this bill right now that Republicans in the Senate introduced in October that would boost access to active shooter training by about only about $10 million a year, but more importantly, would broaden out what funds are available for active shooter training or lockdown drills. So a lot of sort of Department of Justice and Department of Homeland Security funds that right now wouldn't be usable. Who knows what's going to happen with it? But the idea that we're pouring more and more money into this and we don't really know what's effective is alarming. 
I mean, I just kept thinking about the analogy of fire drills. And because yes. a lot of kids said, oh, we do it the same day. We'll do fire drills right. and then we'll do a shooter drill. And here's how it goes. And of course, with a fire drill, you're teaching kids to get low, you know, avoid the smoke. But you're also building the buildings so that the kids are safer and the fireman is the person who's going to come put out the fire. But it seems to me in these active shooter drills, you're telling the kid to be the firefighter. And it's this acknowledgement that we can't necessarily help you. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, there were things we were taught in fire drills about get down and crawl and that sort of thing. But it seemed so unlikely that it was ever going to get get there. Most of the time you were just lining up and getting down the stairs, right? And one of my favorite quotes in Sylvia's um, Verna O'Regan story for us about active shooter drills is someone saying, you know, in fire drills, did they ever like set the building on fire and say like, now you have to figure out how to get out? That's not something that they did. But with active shooter drills, that is sometimes what they're doing. They are having someone dress up as an armed stranger Sometimes they're unannounced. And even for, you know, the teachers who are more likely to participate in those kind of drills, they're terrifying. You can hear how frightening these drills can be when you listen to the voices of those kids the Trace interviewed. But every kid is impacted differently. And some kids are exposed to more of these security procedures than others. Like in Florida, the state mandates active threat drills once a month in schools. And all this leaves security experts deeply divided. I think it's really worth noting that um, Kenneth Trump, who who does this kind of training and who we quoted in our story about Alice, pointed out recently on Twitter that when there was that shooting at the naval base in Pensacola a week or so ago, the base immediately went on lockdown. So the naval base's approach is to go on lockdown. It's not to tell people to counter. So these are actual... U.S. military members and their reaction is, let's lock the doors, turn out the lights, hide if we can. Outside of the arena of drills entirely, there's kind of a new movement to say, you know, what other ways can we protect kids? Well, we can protect kids by making these incidents less common. There's a group that started in Sandy Hook after the school shooting there called Sandy Hook Promise that has a bunch of sort of school curriculum that they do. And one of their programs is called Start With Hello. It's basically a program that schools can adopt where they encourage kids to sit with someone new at lunch, to ask them questions, to sort of make it a, a kinder and more co- cohesive environment. Listening to you talk, active shooter drills, they seem simpler. It seems like a simpler mm-hmm. process. Come in for a day, do a training, you're done. What these folks are recommending is so much more complicated. It's about like creating connections between kids who aren't talking. It's about deeply understanding the children in your community. Mm-hmm. And it's a, and it requires a lot of resources. It's probably more expensive, ultimately, um, to do that kind of work. These active shooter drills, to me, they reveal a kind of desperation. But Tali sees something else. At the heart of this is genuine concern that people have about protecting kids. And I do think that there are a lot of – this is a place where sort of good intentions are overlapping with a market opportunity. But I think a lot of this is driven by real fear about, you know, you know that this that school shootings happen and you send your kid to school every day and you want them to be okay and you want to do everything you can to make sure that they're okay. 
I think, you know, underneath the active shooter drill in schools is a genuine interest in in trying to protect them because you know that there's not a way to make sure that there isn't someone coming into their school with a high-powered weapon. Tally Woodward, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Tally Woodward is deputy editor at The Trace. I should add, she's also married to Gabe Roth, who is in charge of audio here at Slate, though he wasn't involved in making today's show. We also reached out to the Alice Training Institute for comment, but we didn't hear back by the time we recorded this. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, Mara Silvers, and Danielle Hewitt. I'm Mary Harris. I will talk to you tomorrow.